This episode of the Other Pressure Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Sportsman Shield, a durable outdoor decal that makes thieves believe your trail camera and now your tree stand has a GPS tracking device inside. Hunt more, worry less. Fool thieves with the Sportsman Shield. Go on their website and uh, check them out, get you some decals. They're cheap. Um, you'd put post-it signs on your property. Why wouldn't you do that little extra step for your trail camera? or your tree stand. I'm gonna interrupt this to look at that fox. There's a fox. No, I've never seen him. We record out here in the wild. We're always outside. I mean, I know you guys can hear the the uh, crickets and whatnot all the time when we're recording. You'll probably be able to hear the screech owls tonight. But that's the thing, you know, we wanna be outside. I like being outside, so I record outside. But, uh, so tonight, we're going to go over um, some etiquette, hunting and fishing, public land etiquette, uh, boat ramp etiquette. I think that right there is uh, probably one of the most frustrating. The number one offenders would be people at boat ramps. A huge problem with the boat ramp etiquette. And I, it's definitely gotten bigger in the past years than it has in the, you know, before. But is there so many people? I mean, you could have Joe Blow never touched a boat in his life from New York City come down here and go to XY Marina and rent a pontoon boat with no train, maybe a five minute video, and then hit the water. Oh yeah, I say you guys say the boat rental. Uh, boat rental has definitely. That's dangerous. I... It's increased boat traffic on the water, um, and then you have a lot of people who just don't know what they're doing. Yeah, because you are required to have a butter's license, which does take some. You you it, the course the boat the rental people is a few hours. Well, yeah. Yeah. Your your full course is a few hours worth of reading and test taking and whatnot, and it's free. Um, the state of Florida offers Shoot, a free I, course. I paid for it when I, I had to pay for it when I did, but I got mine at like dang thirteen. Yeah. But you you can go on on if you're in Florida, go on my FWC's website and just search uh, boating safety course in their search bar, and it will take you to a list of approved boater safety courses and it has prices listed out next to them and one of those says free. Uh, that's the one I took and it's it's a long one but it's free. You a know. lot of it's, you know, if, if you you know, I get there's a lot of people that don't haven't spent their time significant time around the water but if you've spent, you know, a decent amount of time around boats and water a lot of it's stuff that you Kind of already know, or that you've at least been able to visualize. Right. So, I would say the number one offense, the thing that bothers me the most at boat ramps, is uh, people who prep their boat in the ramp. See, that's that bothers me. Dang cat. That bothers me, but 
the thing that bothers me the most is when you get John Doe that pulls his boat up there and his wife don't know how to operate it. So he pulls it smack dab in the middle of that ramp and has her ties it up and has her stand there with it. And nobody else can use that ramp. You got a two mile long line of boats, but nobody else can use that ramp because his boat's parked right in the middle of it. Yeah, and that's that's I can understand that. But that's I can you can kind of chalk that up to safety. If it's unsafe for her to be operating the boat yeah. and she's if it's unsafe for your passenger to be operating the boat because they're not very familiar with it and it's unsafe for them to be trying to back the trailer into a into a uh, parking space cuz I tell you this, I would rather the person who doesn't know how to drive the boat very well and doesn't know how to back the trailer hardly at all stand there with the boat in the middle of the ramp then try to get in that boat and either run into my boat yeah. or back that trailer into my truck in the parking space. There, you know? A lot but, of a lot of ramps though. As well, Florida here, most places that I put in, there is some portion of bank somewhere that is always open. Right. That you could pull your boat up on. Right. Um but the thing with prepping a boat in the boat ramp is that is People do it like that's where it's supposed to be done, but I know not every ramp has it, but a lot of ramps we use actually have a space for you to prep your boat Yeah. before you put it in the water um, without blocking the ramp because you're stopping traffic. So you get out, you put your rods in there, you get all your stuff buttoned down, get everything ready to go, get the boat unhooked from the pulley in the front of the trailer and all that stuff, and then... You know, there's a yeah. lot of stuff, like getting your rods ready to go and stuff. You can have that done when you leave the house. Unless you're, like, keeping them in your truck. Yeah. But a, a lot of boats these days already have rod lockers. and. Yeah. But if you're in a boat like mine. Yeah. Well, I got a little 12-foot John boat. I can't do could, that. You could stick your poles in there and strap them down. I could. I prefer to leave my poles in the bed of my truck and then I, I throw them in my boat when I get to the boat ramp. To your staging area? Yeah, to my staging area. Um, but there's not a lot of stuff I have to prep because I, I do do it all ahead of time. That or, or uh, when you get people that can't back up trailers. That is frustrating. Uh, and if you it, have a problem... But at that point too... It, not only are you stopping traffic, but you are a danger to the people around you. Yes. You're a danger to yourself and those around you. But practice. I mean, you find an empty parking lot. Walmart's got plenty of place, plenty of space most of the time. Especially now. Like, you should have no problem finding an empty parking lot right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, you just think about where you would take a kid to teach him to drive. That's the same place you could go to practice backing up a boat trailer. Doesn't learning to back to up a, a learning to yeah, learning to back up a trailer is not something to be done in the boat ramp. But and then you know once you're out of the boat ramp and you're on the water, understanding signs and signals and channel markers. Yeah, channel markers really because there's a lot of you know some places you go that like Homosassa 
channel markers are necessary 100 percent. you got rocks yeah hidden obstructions you know hidden hazards you can't see that are just outside the channel that will wreck your day and your boat could cause serious injury i've seen plenty of people uh run up on hell's gate and hit that rock and hit that rock in homosassa because they're not following the channel um and i know there's a there's a gap in hell's gate that you can run you can you can go out the go outside the channel and run do what they call running hell's gate um and i I can understand people that do it well, with the, it's, with the it's experience. Two, it's two big rocks, and it looks like you could just run through them. Well, you can at the right tide, and you, you have to it, know you how really to do, do it. You can do it at any tide. You just have to know where between right. those rocks. You know, you can't just split them even. But uh, the thing is, is that you'll see a lot of uh, guides will run Hell's Gate. But guides, you know, you'll have somebody following a guide in a rental boat, which is how I've seen it several times. Oh, absolutely. Somebody's following a guide in a rental pontoon boat, and the guide runs Hell's Gate in a flats boat, and then the, the pontoon boat just follows behind them because they saw that he got through safe. That must be the way to go. And then they run up on Hell's Gate. And, you know, doing something like that, even if you know how to do it, that is not cutting so much time off of your trip. It's it's cutting your trip by like maybe a hundred feet. Yeah. Because the the channel around Hell's Gate just is a quick turn around it right back into the middle of the river. So. But once you get on the water, man, and maybe it's an unpopular opinion, but I would rather you, me being somebody who's in a small boat, if I'm, one, you shouldn't be fishing in the channel. No. Don't fish in the channel. Don't throw your lines in the channel. Uh, don't fish right on the edge of the channel. But if I'm in an area where there is no channel, like we get into some of those backwater areas where mm -hmm. we where we redfished, and uh, in a small boat, I would rather you fly past me than slow down. Well, I, under if, I understand. If you're going to slow down. I want you at a genuine idle. Right. Don't try to plow past me. That's that's the problem. And I, I get it. People are trying to be courteous by yeah. slowing down. Uh, but when you go down to that plow speed, you're making a bigger wake than when you either go past me on plane or come past me at an idle. And that's you get a lot of guys on kayaks, and now you've got oh, yeah. people fishing off of a uh, paddle boards and stuff like that and that's that's a risk you have to take knowing you, you, you know full of understand that if you're fishing and you know a resume normal speed zone that people are legally allowed to run that right i mean that you you are putting yourself at that risk if you decide to fish in that zone but the thing is too you know when you're running like that Give people their space. Absolutely. Just give them their space. You don't need to be running right on top of somebody. It's dangerous. You pass boats on the water just like you pass a car on the highway. You should be passing on the right side. 
not trying to go around or passing on the left side. I apologize. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm backwards. You should be passing on the left side, not trying to go on the right side. And you it's treat, just like any waterway is just like. Just like a road. Yeah. If you would be on the right side, you know what I mean? If you're going northbound in a canal that's running north and south, you need to be on the right-hand side. If you're going southbound, you need to be, you know, on the other side. But you uh, you just got to keep those things in mind. When you find somebody fishing and you're going to get their in your spot, which nobody owns the public waters, so it's not really your spot. If they beat you to it, it's their spot. And that goes for public land, too. And it's it's frustrating. Because I've been there. Especially when we duck hunt. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, I, lo I love fishing and I love duck hunting, but... it's To me, it's just a matter of, of respecting that other person's sport. If I'm out fishing and I see somebody duck hunting, you know what? I understand that you put in your time and your effort and you put money into, you know, your ammo and stuff to be there. So I'll find a new spot. That's that's something we don't we, we encounter quite often. You don't get that respect. Yeah. Um, but fishing, I was going to say, if you're going to fish close to the same proximity, I would say you need to be at least... 100 feet if not more that's fair there's some places that's, yeah. that's not really possible you, like fishing like Boca Pass when the Boca Pass is hot and heavy and the, the uh, tarpon are in there yeah it's like you could just about walk from boat to boat to boat across that thing <laughs> but yeah there's going to be instances where that's you know but if everybody's catching yeah but then at that point, you all have a mutual respect that... Right. That's just how it is. And right. You still, you know, you still have rules at, you know, there. You should still have respect for the people around you. But, and that thing too, man, when you're in the same boat and somebody's got a big fish on, get your line out of the water. You That's, that's something you would want them to do for you you know it, it's if you're in the same boat you're probably friends with that person so yeah. get your line out of the water and get the net unless it's a lot bigger than the one you just caught then you try and then you get your line out of the water and get the knife <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then claim it wasn't slot yeah that thing was way under slot yeah but you know and we get into, we, we talk about duck hunting and you see it in big uh, impoundments where people will literally pile in on top of each other. Yeah. You know, if, if somebody's going to, if you're in a spot and somebody else shows up and they want to sit close to you, why don't you just hunt together? You know, team up, double the decoy spread, whatever, yeah. you know. You know, the sad thing is it's, it's it's with any sport. It's just today, times in general, that there's a lot of people that just wouldn't wouldn't have the respect to 
But but then again, there's a lot of people that would would happily say, "Oh yeah, brother, I'm you know, I'll help you out. We'll respect each other. We'll hunt together." But then there's other people that are just gonna be buttheads. Don't be that guy that sets up and purposely sky blasts and dusts people with BBs because that's unsafe. It's illegal to be shooting at someone like that. And ducks learn, dude. I mean, yeah, they're not stupid. When you sky blast, they're not going to try and... They're definitely not going to land. Yeah. I don't, there's something, to me, there's something just so satisfying about shooting a duck that's working or like it's worked and it's feet down, cupped, ready to land. And they're so they're so open at that point too. You you're the shot is a lot easier. Yeah. Than trying to shoot a passing duck or It's like when you're shooting clay, you wait till it reaches its like furthest point. It's gonna stop real quick before it drops. It's arc. Yeah. yeah. When the it peak reaches of its, arc. its arc, it's gonna stop real quick before it drops and boom, right there. When it kind of stalls out right there, and, and there's when a, some when a duck goes to cup and feet down, it kind of stalls out. You... There's some spots where we duck hunted where you have to shoot fly by. Yeah, we're but, we're but past shooting, but we're also past shooting ducks that are low, ten feet over our head. Yeah, and we're watching them come from a ways off, so we're prepared for that pass shot. We know that we're not where they want to be, but we're in that flight path. Yeah. And we're in the right spot in that flight path where we can have a good, a good shot. There's a difference between shooting a flyby and shooting a bird that's 80 yards up in the air that you're might catch with. You might get lucky and hit it with a pellet in the right spot and drop it. Last thing you want to do is wound any animal. Yeah. You know, it's not, not good. Unless it's a cockroach, then you just like to watch them suffer. <laughs> We're, we're all in this together, so if you get out there and help somebody, instead of hindering somebody, y'all, you, you'll enjoy it together. There's no point in, in being that way. And the thing with, with public land is the best way to get there first is just to get up earlier. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're going to yeah. try to be that wood duck hole and you know that it takes you an hour to drive there and then a 45-minute run in the boat and you want to be there you know get up well before you would need to be to be there before shooting light and go to sleep in the boat take a nap when you get there i've done that a couple times yeah set an alarm you just set an alarm and take a nap yeah. yeah i've done it in the deer stand uh, because you know when i hunted on kentucky up there we weren't allowed into the woods until 90 minutes before sunrise so I would wake up very early and I would drive to where I was gonna park my truck to hunt for the day and I would usually be to that parking space about 45 minutes to an hour ahead of that 90 minute period and I would go back to sleep for 30 minutes, I would wake up 15 minutes before the 90 minutes kicked off. I would get up, I'd put all my stuff on, get my, my climber ready, my backpack strapped up, and as soon as it hits 90 minutes, I'm walking. 
I have no reason to, to try and be in there first. There are people that would go in ahead of that, but to each their own, you know. Um, you know, with another thing with, while we're on kind of subject to hunting here is with first phase lottery just having open today, the subject to gator hunting. If somebody else is on a gator, don't, there's a lot of people that will try and run down the same gator that you're trying to run down. Or, or I'll get on top. I mean, it's just like fishing. People try to get on top. Look. They want what you have. There are way too many gators in Florida for you to be trying to kill another another a gator yeah. somebody else is trying to hunt. Like, yeah. it, if you wanted to kill that gator and somebody else is already on it, okay, well, just shift your spotlight three inches to the left and kill that one because there's another one right there. Yeah. But I can know, almost promise you, if you've scouted a big gator, you're not the only one that has scouted that big gator. And I'll tell you this, and I I can speak to that firsthand. The spot we duck hunted, our wood duck hole in Georgia, um, there was a freaking dinosaur in that lake. And when gator season opened up there last year, I put out on the Georgia Hunters Network. Um, that I knew whoever had drone zone seven, I knew where there was a monster and you could get in there and I'd tell you where it's at, you go in there and kill it. Cause I didn't want to be in the water with it and waiters cause that thing could easily eat me. Yeah. That's a dang horse eater, son. Uh, my buddy from Texas said it was a big gator. You know how them Texans are. <laughs> so you know it was a big gator. I bet it was every bit of 12 plus feet. But when I put that out there, I had several people message me, and I'm like, it's in this, it's in this lake, in, in this WMA. And it's a very small lake. If it wasn't like it was big, you know, this big, Is huge lake. Is it the lake. one that, that lake that me and AJ, I mean, we didn't hunt specifically on that lake, but it was that lake that was in that WMA where we yes. hunted. Okay. Yes, that little lake. I can't remember the name of it. Or I know which one you. you're talking about, though. But, yeah. The long, skinny one? Yeah. Kind of looks like a rabbit ear at the top, but, and I I said to several different people, there, there's a monster in there, and they're like, oh yeah, I knew that, I scouted it last year. Everybody I talked to already knew where that gator was. Oh yeah, they don't get they don't get big being dumb. No, no, they don't. It's That's the like same deer. thing goes for deer, yeah, yeah. and turkeys. And any big fish, animal, whatever. They don't get big because they're stupid. But, you know, you, if you're going to, if you oversleep and you're going to deer hunt public land, for Pete's sake, man, if you oversleep, just don't go hunt. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Wait till... If you wake up at 7, go back to sleep until 9 o'clock. Then get up, hunt go to the, the woods, the hunt the middle of the day. Yeah. I've had more than one peop more than one person come walking in on me at 7 o'clock in the morning. I say there's nothing worse than somebody walking in right at deer 30. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this. The most effective deterrent I've found public land hunting 
for deer. Uh, and letting just to let people know that you're there. You know, you, you try the flashlight and people act like they can't see it. Uh, you yell and they act like they can't hear you. They just keep on going because they don't care. What never failed to turn somebody around was a laser pointer. I was going to say, I felt like a laser would be probably one of the best A laser things. pointer. I had a green laser pointer that I picked up at a yard sale. And it was a bright joker. And uh, I would carry it with me to the tree stand. And the nice thing about a laser pointer is, is it, it's very pinpointed, right? So you're not just like flashing a flashlight. I am taking that laser from 100 yards and I am putting it on you. Mm -hmm. There's no denying that you know I see you. Yeah. And you I had- You can see where that laser is coming from. Yeah. Every time I would do that, I would shine that laser around, I'd walk it up and put it on them and they'd just kind of stop and they wave and they'd turn around and go the other direction. I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're one of the people I shined a laser on, I just want you to know I wasn't pointing a gun at you, it's just a laser pointer. <laughs> I don't know whether maybe that's why people were turning around, but it's just a laser pointer. Uh, but that was extremely effective. Yeah. And then it broke, and then I was sad because I didn't have my laser pointer anymore. <laughs> I tell you what, and I didn't buy it, but the, probably the funnest purchase I've ever had, laser-wise, was that, uh, dang, who makes that laser I got? I don't even remember now. It's a night, that night hunting laser I got. Yeah. God, that thing's nasty because it'll, it'll go all the way down to a little tiny laser beam. But then you can focus it out to where it's like a flashlight. And that thing, sun, that thing will shine for miles and miles and miles. So the trick to hunting public land is to to go that extra mile. Literally the extra the, the extra literal mile. Yeah, it's not gonna kill you to walk that. No. What I would do is, you know, I'm, I, I drug a deer two and a half miles and it was not a small deer. He dressed out at 220 pounds and we drug it guts in out of the, out of the bottom where I shot it. It took three of us, uh, four and a half hours to get that deer out of there. Worth it. Very worth it. That was one of the biggest bucks I've killed to date. Yeah. But I knew going into that spot that I was hunting where I was hunting to kill a big buck. So I was extremely picky about what I shot down there. I wasn't going to shoot a doe unless it was a just a monster of a nanny. Yeah. Because um, I'm not going to pass up a big slick head. No. That's a good, that's meat right there. That's, that, that's me as a meat hunter. I'll shoot a big doe. Uh, but I don't, then over a little buck. But, um, and I've watched several really nice bucks, and there were some that in the moment I kicked myself in the ass for not shooting. Uh, but I'm glad I didn't, because I only had one buck tag. Yeah. For the season there. <clears throat> um. And I mean, I, I literally had one, a nice non-typical 11 point 
that came in to 30 yards, stood there, and I, I really contemplated shooting that deer, and I was like, nah, I'm not gonna do it. And then he walked off, and I let him get about 70 yards, and I actually picked up my horns, and I rattled him back in to 40 yards. And I was like, I'm gonna, I need to, I, and I was like, no, no, I'm not gonna do it. And he turned around and went, he went towards my buddy, and I was hoping that he would see it and get to shoot him. Uh, but he must have turned somewhere in between the two of us. But had I shot that buck, I wouldn't have been able to kill that 13 point I killed three weeks later. Yeah. So. Dude, I've always learned that you, you know, in the moment you might kick yourself for it, but there's going to be some point down the road where you're like, I'm glad I didn't shoot that deer because either you're going to see it the next season and it's going to be bigger or you're going to have an opportunity on something better later. So I, we didn't really grow up exclusively hunting public land. Yeah. But, but when I started exclusively hunting public land later on in my life, I kind of approached it the same way I approached the, la the, the leases we did hunt. And it worked. I killed deer um, sitting on the edge of edge of a food source, like a like a big agriculture field. <clears throat> I killed deer. I saw deer, but I wasn't seeing deer um, when I was killing deer. I was killing deer minutes before dark, yep. or that minutes before sunrise. You know, when I, that's when I was seeing deer either right after dark when it was just too dark to shoot is when I was seeing the majority of my deer and it dawned on me one day I was like I wonder what would happen if and I went to the same spot I'd been hunting but instead of hunting the edge of the field I walked about 800 yards into the hardwoods off of the field and I hunted there that afternoon and I had deer all over me at 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon Mm-hmm. And the only difference... they browse before they make it to the field. Well, they're coming in there and they're staging in that area in the safe zone before they walk out into the open. And they hang out in that in that buffer area before dark, waiting on the sun to yeah. go down. That goes right back to the, they don't get big being down. Right. Um, and I switched up my tactics to start doing that, and I started seeing way more deer and killing deer a lot easier and it was just a little bit further of a drag wasn't that bad uh, but you know it's if you pay attention to what's going on around you and I actually moved where I was hunting because from where I was hearing gunshots yeah I started killing deer. You know, going back to the we grew up kind of brings me back to the you may, you're going to see it next season even bigger. And hunting public land, you may not see that deer. Somebody may kill that deer. Right. That goes even to a lease. There may be a lease next door that's going to kill that deer. Well, we never, but, okay, so we did hunt a lease, but we never hunted a huge piece of property. Yeah. I mean, the lease that I had last year was 200 acres. Well, my lease now is 150. Yeah. 
and I hunted a lease in Tennessee, the most productive lease I have ever been on, 84 acres. But bringing like public land into perspective, you may not be able to shoot that deer that you kind of kick yourself in the butt for, but two years down the road, you kill this just trophy. What, what you know, trophy's different to everybody, but you kill what you would consider a trophy. Passing up that deer that would be smaller than your trophy two years ago makes killing that trophy that much sweeter to me. Yeah. Because well, it, you've just put in that much more effort or heart into what you have. So what I like to do when I know I'm going to pass on the deer, right? Especially if it's, if it's not like that deer 30 time right there at that, right at sunrise, right at sun, around sunset. If I've got a deer come out either early in the afternoon or late in the morning and I know I'm not going to shoot it, I like to test theories. Yeah. Right, I I'm I wanted I wanted to know, and I tell you one thing I did I had some of that Tinks uh, persimmon spray. Smells like persimmons. Son, I could about use that stuff as clone. I did. I, I didn't use it as like literally know, as clone, yeah. but I used it as cover stand. I sprayed it on myself. Yeah, I wish they still made it. So what I did is I had a doe and two yearlings come in on me. They come uh, come out of the bottom. I was sitting up on the ridge line watching the bottom. They come up the ridge. Um, from the bottom and then they started walking down the down the ridge line and i let them get about 60 yards and the wind shifted so i grabbed my persimmon spray and i sprayed it out on the wind so that it would carry it back down to them as soon as she got wind of that she stopped turned around and walked right back to me i did that three times i'd let her get 60 or 70 yards out and i'd hit the spray again she turn around and come right back. That stuff works. And you know how I know it works? Because I can't find it anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I got well, one can that, of it and I can't ever find it there anymore. There was that persimmons. What was the other one? Like sweet, sweet weed. weed. Yep. Golly. Smells like honeysuckle. That stuff, you know, if, if I wasn't smart enough to know that it didn't taste like it smelled. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can find a, pers a wild persimmon tree, you found a a literal the oh, yeah. pot of gold at the end of the rainbow especially if you can and find it deep in the woods kind of hopping back on the etiquette thing you know if, if you're out there scouting and you see you know maybe somebody else's stand or sign that somebody else is gonna set a stand there just be the bigger person and, and move on scout somewhere else I'm gonna say this this is probably a very unpopular opinion if you're gonna go out on public land and you're gonna put up a ladder stand, and you're gonna leave it there. Oh no, I agree with this opinion. If you show up, and somebody else is sitting in your tree stand, they beat you to it, then then so be it. Yeah, if you're gonna leave it there. Yes. Yeah. Um, that doesn't give someone the right to steal your tree stand, and I would not be the one to go and sit in your tree stand but I'm also not going to be the one to try and ruin your hunt if you sit in my tree stand. Now, I have left my climber on public land. I feel like a climber is a different story, though. It is and it isn't. Um, I've left my climber on a tree, 
because you know I hunted there uh, Saturday afternoon and I know that I'm gonna come right back to it Sunday morning I don't see the point in carrying it out and yeah. carrying it back in but what I would do to prevent that from happening is I would one I, I carried a bike lock a cable lock yeah. in my climber and I would cable lock the two pieces together tightly and then and cable lock it to the tree so that it was immobile and two I would take my seat because you don't want to sit in the climber without a seat yeah then it's a stander <laughs> a, a quite literally a deer stand hey listen now I grew up hunting in them uh, morning sweats where you could sit backwards so don't think I can't get in a climber and sit on the gun rest and kick my feet up and <laughs> yeah. sit the opposite direction that and some janky homemade ladder stands and yeah and you know budget wise leasing doesn't take a lot of money um, it can be extremely expensive because most of the time your lease is set at certain price for that property it's not set up this much per person I mean it can be if you get on a lease it's already existing right so I saw a lease um, it was 97 acres in Kentucky. All hardwoods with some uh, agriculture that wasn't on the lease, but it was next to it. It was, I can't remember, so I guess it was four people on that 97 acres which is can be a lot if you want to really break it down by acreage but at the same time it's not i hunted four yeah. people on that size and we never stepped on each other's toes and it's it's nice to have that number to split the cost of the lease and split the cost of food plots yeah but it came out to around 600 dollars a person which isn't bad for a full for a full year that's, that's... 50 dollars a month yeah so i'm sure you could think of a hundred things You'd be willing to pay fifty dollars a month for it. I mean, shoot, people pay fifty dollars a month to have them send you a box of uh, a box once a month full of dog candy toy, yeah. and or dog toys and stuff like that. You know, yeah. so with a with a with touting it as a eighty dollar value, you know, people spend money on stuff like that. So you could you could afford to spend that yeah. on a lease. And you honestly, if I was to pick up another lease, it would. I myself would not want to get on a pre-existing lease. I would attempt to find a piece of property, unless it's pre-existing with people that I already know. Right. If it if it's not pre-existing with people I already know, I would attempt to find a vacant piece that's for lease and get people that I would want to hunt with to join my lease, because then you have more you have less less of a chance of stepping on each other's toes. Right. But don't be afraid to join somebody's lease who you don't know. I mean, you can make Oh, absolutely. You can make best lifelong, friend for life, life yeah, you lifelong know. friends. Uh, you just got to feel those people out. And yeah. there's always going to be somebody you don't get along with. That's just life. <laughs> we all work with somebody we don't get along with. I work with plenty of people I don't get along with. Uh, and But, you know, this is something we put up with. So... It is what it is.
What else you got? We're coming around towards the end here. Any other last-minute etiquette tips you can think of? Jet skiers. Jet skiers. Slow down. Yeah. It, just because you buy a jet ski, that mean you have to be an asshole. No kidding. Like, I get it. You're out there to enjoy your jet ski, but you're not the only person on the water. Be courteous. You say jet skis, but that really goes for anybody in general. It does. It is very common with jet skis, though. Jet skis can get really shallow, too, which, you know, you can't do in a lot of boats. Yeah. You, you, won't, you won't see a, a wake boat coming up and running real shallow, yeah. real fast, like you would a jet ski. And, you know, another kind of little etiquette thing is, um, like, airboats. Not necessarily the people in the airboats, but airboats don't sit way above the water like all the other boats. So if you're out on the water and you come across an airboat or something, do your best to not, don't swamp them. Don't, if you have to, sit down and complete idle past them because they are extremely easy to swamp. Yeah, they got really low sides and they're pretty heavy for their size. Yeah. But just be careful, you know. Be careful, be courteous, and understand that it's that it's everybody's, not yeah. just yours. It's not yours, it belongs to everybody. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole thing for me too at the ramp is um, just learn how to don't, I, it doesn't matter if you're in a rush or not. Everybody in that boat ramp's gotta get in the water. So learn how to wait your turn. Don't take your cut, time. Yeah, don't Look, cut the line. Take your time. I know it may seem like an eternity to you at the time, but just be careful. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So what's your tip of the week? Uh, you know, I've seen this a lot online, and I agree with it. But uh, when you're hunting public land, please... And it's not only for me, but it's for you. Don't use massive, like, flagging ribbon. Because deer see that. that. That is, like, a huge... If you have a massive trail flagged into your stand, don't think that deer can't see that. Deer can see that. I, I, was, gonna, I was actually going to bring up flagging ribbon, but in a different aspect i was going to say make sure it's not meant to be put in the tree and left there if you're yeah. going to put it up take it down oh yeah um i'm a big fan of not using flagging ribbon because if i use it to get to my tree stand so i can find my tree stand or my hunting spot is going to find it everybody else can use it to find your hunting spot too i like using an app on my phone for gps yeah. and i may um because gps isn't always extremely accurate especially in the woods so what I'll do is use the app to get me into a general area, and then I'll use Bright Eye Tax. I would say I like Bright tree. Eyes, but my thing with Bright Eyes is I'm going to set my Bright Eyes up to where I know how to use them. Right. Like, say, if I set them up, and we're probably the same way, so you could follow one of my Bright Eye trails. But if Joe Schmo comes in there and sees my Bright Eye trail, he's 
not going to be able to find my standby. So I'll give you guys a tip. I'll tell you how I set up my bright eyes real quick before done. Um, if I'm using bright eyes to make a trail, I only put bright eyes where I need to turn. Yep. And what I will do is I'll use two bright eyes in my turn. So on my tree, I will have one bright eye and then above it to the left or to the right, I will put another bright eye. That way I know if it's above it to the left, then at that bright eye, my next bright eye is going to be to the left of that tree. And that bright eye might be 50 yards away, but you can still see it Yeah. with a flashlight. If you know what you're looking for. Right. And then on my tree, I usually do a triangle. Yep. Uh, because I have done, I used to do two bright eyes yeah, and then you're next like, to each other. Dear. Well, I did that one time and I was walking to the tree and I was like, oh, there's my tree stand. All right. And then my tree looked down and then looked back up at me. And I said, that's not my tree. Yeah. And then my tree ran away. It was a deer. Yeah. So, you know, get out there, pick up trash, pick up your trash, pick up everybody else's trash. Oh, yeah. Don't leave trash. Be a, friend, be a friend of the forest. Yeah. And keep our waterways clean. It starts and, and ends. Don't, don't be afraid to stop and, and pick up trash. You don't look stupid doing it. But even if it's somebody else's, be safe, be courteous, have fun. You know, that's all that's what it's about. So, and just get out there, especially now. But until next week, it's been another episode of the Under Pressure Outdoors podcast. Get on where you listen to the podcast. Give us a review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We like talking to you. So have a good week.